Wetsuit Friday listeners, what is going on? A little different uh, today. Sam is not here. I think this is the first one he's missed. So, uh, Brian, what's up, buddy? I think you're going to be sitting behind a mic today. Yeah, I had to get called in from the bench because Sam said that he's been talking too much. Who got the B-lifters coming out. Yeah, Uh, Sam is so overworked that he cannot have a beer and chat on a podcast. Yeah, he apparently, him and uh, Anders Manley... Once uh, Anders finishes his P course, they do the uh, tandem bike ride down in Pensacola downtown. So he didn't make it in this morning. But uh, what are you what are you drinking over there? Got a special beer today. Uh, it is uh, Cape May Brewing Company. It's a hazy pale ale. Uh, the name of it is Always Ready. Oh, it's and fancy. Uh, yeah, it's very Coast Guard. You know, we have a uh, who is it that sent it. Uh, from Atlantic City, Chris Zink. So, Chris, man, if you're listening, thank you so much for this beer. Uh, we are going to love it. Yeah, and we are very cheap uh, to buy for, and you can pay us off pretty easy. So if you want a shout-out, uh, yeah, just send beer our way, and yeah. we will we'll say your name as many times. Chris Zink. Yeah. Uh, Give yourself way, a seven. Ryan, cheers. Uh, sure. I think you recently received some sort of certification. Is that oh, true? Oh, yeah. ATP complete. I don't have to get slapped. Actually, the the entire flight, that's really all I was thinking of. Of <laughs> Man, if I fail this and then also get slapped by Kenny today, it's going to be a bummer. So, yeah. But doing those ROL style first and doing the first go, I did have to pinky promise Jake Dorsey that if I failed, I would be a, gro- a grown-up and I would just cry quietly in the left seat <laughs> while he did his check ride. <laughs> Oh, congrats. That's that's a, a milestone in anyone's aviation career. So yeah. congrats on that. And then circling back, uh, last episode, we were talking about the uh, big top out there. Uh, turns out uh, Captain Chris Holzer, the Midas Touch, does have some sea time. So maybe he's going back to his roots. I don't I yeah, don't know. I don't know. All right. Pretty crazy. Um, the Midas Touch. That is that sticky? I don't know. We'll see. He hasn't uh, said anything, so maybe he hasn't listened to the last episode yet. Yeah, we'll maybe. See. Just wait for an email. Yeah. Uh, excellent. Well, let's hit some shout outs for the fleet. All right. Got a good shout out today uh, coming from Cape Cod. They had a sailing vessel, the sailing vessel Calypso, which was uh, disabled and demasted about 100 nautical miles south of Long Island. They got on scene right around sunset. Uh, to about 20, 25 foot seas and winds in excess of 45 knots. Uh, they had four uh, elderly gentlemen on board that were suffering from hypothermia. One uh, had a broken rib and some lacerations on the face. They went ahead and deployed the rescue swimmer upswell, who swam onto the vessel. Uh, they kind of made it a priority to not put the people in the water just based off the water temps. So they did a couple basket hoists down to the uh, bow of the vessel since it was a mess, pretty much anything aft of the bow. Got all four people off safely, brought them back uh, to an airport where they were transported to the hospital via EMS. So the crew for that was Lieutenant Commander Riley, Lieutenant Zablotny, Petty Officer Shoemaker, and Petty Officer Bezoric. So really awesome job on that. I love hearing about cases out in the fleet. Yeah, that's great. We've got another uh, 61 from Astoria that uh, Lieutenant Kat Bean and Lieutenant Commander Andrew Jerolimek, uh did a vert surface rescue off of Tillamook. Uh, which is a pretty big, yeah, that's a pretty big case right there. And we don't have the full details on the rest of the crew, but we promise to roll those out in the next episode for sure. 
Uh, yeah, Fleet's doing some great work. And that's... I hate giving credit to the 60s, though. Our 65 brother need to step it up and start giving us some cases they're doing. Yeah, please let us know if you do anything anything fun. Um, unless you're in Hitron or Atlantic City, then Kenny filters those out in the emails. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. All right, uh, Fleet News. I don't think we've got a whole lot going on from uh, when we talked uh, last, so... I think uh, we'll jump straight into our episode today. Got a very special guest, uh, a, a legend within the 65 community and, and really a unicorn that I think a lot of us um, look up to. So uh, without further ado, uh, Mr. Commander Kevin Barris. Sir, how are you? I'm well, thank you. That's quite the introduction. Legend and unicorn all in the same sentence. Thank you. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think it's 100% accurate. So, well, um, Kenny's also just not reading the show doc, which also says crotchety Coast Guard pilot. <laughs> true, so. <laughs> true. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sir, why don't you just start us off? Uh, you know, when did you get into aviation? Where have you been? It's uh, been quite the storied career. So, uh, back in the last century, 1999, <laughs> I uh, found myself at flight school. It's uh, basically all I wanted to do was uh, fly Coast Guard uh, ever since. Uh, kind of thinking about what I wanted to do after college. Uh, and yeah, I found myself a flight school in uh, mid-99 and uh, got flight orders in April 1999, started flight pay, and I've been on flight pay ever since. I've had uh, continuous flight orders since then. So that's probably the unicorn part that, that is, you're talking yeah, about. Exactly. How yeah. many air stations is that? And hours. Yeah, and you're, you're asking me to do math in front of everybody. So <laughs> yep. we'll, we'll, math. we'll let you guys count along as I kind of <laughs> go through it as quickly or slowly as you guys uh, prompt me to do. But uh, yeah, so got through flight school, uh, winged in 2000, uh, found myself up at a little town called Port Angeles. Had no idea what I, what I was getting into. Um, jumped into a great unit, three helicopter unit. And that's kind of a theme throughout my uh, my Coast Guard career that you guys will probably, probably see. So got introduced to that small wardroom, uh, Pacific Northwest flying. Um, you know, basically you got to show up to work, uh, every day with your A game. You guys have heard that term before. Um, and I really internalized that, um, kind of goes back to some of the stuff I did prior to the Coast Guard, but we can double back on that. But then, uh, from there, uh, flew alphas, 65 alphas for, uh, about 1200 hours. Um, did a late tour transition where the last ones to transition over to the mighty 65 Bravo. Found myself up in, uh, Kodiak at Allpat. Uh, kicking and screaming, going all the way up there. But uh, once I got there, loved it. Family loved it, uh, which is one of the uh, the lessons I've learned throughout my my Coast Guard career is what you think is going to be your worst tour is probably not. What you think is going to be your best tour is probably not. They're yeah. all they're all what you make of it. Uh, that's where I met um, Mr. Ingram as a shiny new uh, yeah. incident, I believe, right? Yeah, that was... Um what year was that? C- circa 2006, I'm going to say. Yeah, I feel like six en- or seven. Ensign yeah. Kenny Ingram is on the Coast Guard Cutter Chase. Uh, we're doing a, a Alpat deployment, and there's a Lieutenant Kevin yeah. Barris at the time, I think. That's true, yeah. And uh, I think we had uh, consumed a, a, a good number of uh, amber-colored beverages <laughs> in BJ Miles' garage, I think, of all places. Okay. We had caught some fish at the, uh, the place that we'll name unnamed because uh, I don't want to air that out, but there's a, there's a certain place where if you you drop even a bear hook down, you're coming up with some nice forty pound halibut. And uh, yeah, we did a fish fry, and uh, I'd like to credit uh, Kevin to kind of be my aviation sea daddy because he's like, "What are you doing on this cutter? <laughs> you know, like what's what's wrong with you? Uh, you need to come aviation." And so, uh, you know, fast forward fifteen years later, and here we are talking about 
flying alphas and bravos. Yeah, and we're the, and we're the old guys now. I know. Yeah, I just failed my flight physical. Actually, <laughs> uh, let's see. Can't, can't hear see. Anymore. Can't hear. Doc is using words like uh, you know pre-diabetic, slightly <laughs> obese, and you're like, oh man, what? Oh, what happened? What happened? Yeah. yeah, I don't worry about passing check rides anymore. I get, I do get nervous going to uh, to go see Doc. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. When you're sitting in the hearing booth. Does the uh, does the machine yell at you for hitting the button yes. too many times? I did. That's how you know it's not going well. Yes, yeah. when you get a little uh you know pep talk in mid mid uh, hearing test yeah so yeah. you guys are just going through your acceptance right so or, or your stages right so eventually, yeah. eventually you just get to acceptance like me yeah. and you just hope for the best right yeah, yeah. So, i think you had a hearing aid when i was in that's home. true <laughs> i uh I, I have a hearing aid and as a matter of fact when i get back uh, back uh, home there to humble i'm off to my uh my va hearing test uh so there funny you yeah. mention that but yeah I tell my wife it, it was worth uh, every loss of uh, ounce of hearing that I had to, f to fly 65s and, and be around cutters and all that good stuff. Yeah. So yeah. I, I wear them proudly. Yeah. Um, so jump back in. So that yep. was that was Kodiak. Yeah. Kodiak left Kodiak in seven, uh, 2007. And then uh, had to do an arduous tour for payback for that and found myself down in Hawaii uh, at Barber's <laughs> Point, uh, which, was a, which was a glorious tour. You did. You were FSO down there. Right? I did two years of FSO. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep, those were my last two years. Um, yeah, I didn't know we were talking about collaterals. Ah, <laughs> I thought we were talking about flying. I was just curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, so a lot, a lot of happened there. You know, obviously, had all the tours, but yeah, Hawaii was uh, was a good tour. Uh, a few things fell into place uh, uh, there uh, for me professionally, uh, by no fault of my own. Uh, FSO was one of them uh, during a pretty critical time in Coast Guard history. Um, you know, we're going through those. I, I call it the dark days uh, where we were uh, not. Uh, not bringing crews home when, when we should have been. Uh, and then uh, the uh, Coast Guard uh, aviation uh, changed the focus, right? We've talked about this before. Uh, all of a sudden, my resume started started looking better and better. Uh, operator, um, you know, making my way up to instructor pilot for, for all the right reasons, not to, not to make rank, but to, to train the next generation, loving every minute of it. And uh, just those two things kind of came together and opportunities opened up. Um, and I found myself here uh, at Mobile from 11 to, to 14. Um, another another great tour. Uh, and again, those those skills uh, lent themselves to going out to Humboldt, where I've kind of been lost for the last eight years. Um, <laughs> yeah, everyone's yeah. kind of lost track of you as you kind of bounce around between Humboldt and Northman. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll stand duty on any of the West Coast uh, stations. Just let me know where you where you need me. <laughs> probably qualified in all of them. Yeah, so. I probably could figure. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a little uh, sim event here during my Echo transition up in uh, Seattle. I came back pretty quick. Um, but uh, but yeah. So did uh, did ops, which was probably the pinnacle of my career. Um, any any uh, true aviator. Uh, you know, I don't know much about the fixed wing side of the house, but rotary wing, I mean, right? Your, your off spots makes or breaks um, the air station. Um, they, they, they teach you how to be a professional pilot. They, they filter you from some of the, the important, but, but not quite as important stuff uh, from the head shed and uh, make sure you're ready out there uh, to go out there and, and do the, the king's business. Um, yeah, so did that for three years and then uh, started sneaking up on my 20 years. I started looking at uh, family priorities and, and, and those types of things after the Coast Guard. Um, got lucky and fleeted up to deputy for some geostability for one year uh, from four, what was that, 17 to 18? And then a uh, whole other story that we can talk on a little bit later, but um, found myself at the uh, end of my uh, rope as far as what I wanted to do in the Coast Guard and uh, put in a dream sheet that was truly a dream sheet. 
and <laughs> uh, the top four spots after doing two pre-commands were duty standing 05 on uh, a West Coast unit um, and got lucky enough and found myself up in North Bend. And uh, quick retirement in there, one-day retirement back on the retired recall and then uh, back down to Humboldt, been there for two years and finishing up the uh, last official year of my contract, which will take me out to about 25-ish years, about 23 years flying. So I heard a rumor, and I got to ask if it's true. So you are flying, and you don't have to do OERs? That's true. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Th- I think that's where this the unicorn word, like, pops in, because everyone is like, man, if I could just fly and not do OERs, like, sign me up. Yeah. So um, when I was, uh, considering is probably not the right word, when I had painted myself into a corner and uh, looking at maybe continuing to fly with the Coast Guard after a few of the other things I was looking at wasn't quite as attractive, um, I got counseled, and I don't remember who it was. It was somebody up at OPM, and they, they sat me down uh, via the phone, right, and really wanted to understand I was what I was doing. And they said, so I want you to understand, Kevin, that, you know, if you, if you do this, um, you know, you're no longer going to be eligible for boards or panels, and um, you're not going to be writing OER, so we're not going to be able to, to <laughs> promote you for, for 06. And I said, okay, what's the downside? <laughs> yeah. uh, so... Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it, it sounds good, right? Uh, you know, still got to be a professional pilot, right? Um, it, it's it's kind of at the, uh, at the, um, the pleasure of the, of the 06 or the 05 you're working for. I, I worked for two 06s out there uh, on the retired recall. Um, so I, I feel like I need to make myself useful uh, aviation wise. So yeah, although there is no ER, there are a few, you know, probably quarterly pop my head in to the head shed and, and, and talk about how, how I'm doing, how I'm being perceived. Right. So I'm, again, the unicorn's a great, a great animal to, to compare me to. Right. So I'm not, I'm not really part of the, part of the command. I'm not really part of the, the wardroom, but I'm like almost a bridge. Right. Right. I, I live in both worlds. Right. Uh, speak both languages. Um, you know, so I, I understand that that's a, a privilege and I use both those, those wisely. Right. Um, as not to be a distraction yeah. to, to either. And are I, you an instructor in I FE am, up yeah. there? So yeah. do you sit on the FEB and everything as well, or is that kind of separate? Yeah. Uh, so when I was playing ops, I chose not to be on the FEB at a small unit um, because I already had a vote. Uh, but now, now that I, I'm no longer doing that, I do sit on the FEB. I, I've uh, had the chair once or twice just out of necessity. I, I think it's a, you know, it's a wasted uh, title on me, obviously, because of the OER fact you talked about. So right now I'm uh, just a sitting member, um, you know, Doing, doing what I can, but yeah, kind of a break my arm to pat my back here. The last semi-annual quarter or semi-annual quarter, semi-annual, uh, we lost two of our, our, uh, workhorses, uh, in the, uh, FEB there at Humboldt, uh, Tim Mosier went off to retirement and then Derek Schermel came here to do great work. And I found myself with, I don't even know, it was like 26, uh, IPFE events, which is a lot at a small three helicopter unit. Yeah. So I, I, I complained the whole time, like any good pilot would, <laughs> yeah. but, but I loved every minute of it. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> That's the way it works. Yeah. So it was great. So, uh, if you guys come down and evaluate us and there's like this block of young pilots that are all screwed up, maybe go back and see when I was doing the majority of the instruction and, and then, you know, who to we, we can pinpoint oh, yeah, there. Yeah. yeah. I think we are coming out to do a assist visit with yeah. you guys, uh, second or third week in, yeah. in June. That. So. Yeah. so it sounds like you're, you're basically like a, a bosun on a cutter that you can just, walk in straight to the CEO's office and be like, Hey, you are, you're making some big mistakes, you know, without any fear of like retribution. Yeah. It's basically. almost a valuable role. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose I could, I don't know if I've ever used it quite that way. Yeah. Um, I, I probably, uh, 
Um, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a duty stander. Um, I would say that maybe I'm, I'm the CEO's muse or maybe the, the CEO's uh, best buddy when, when he wants it, right? Yeah. Um, I, I offer that up to, uh, to all the guys that, uh, that have the burden of command uh, up in the command uh, structure. You know, I've been there. Um, I know what it's like being ops, sending a crew out at, uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night and having them fly through the night, right? You're not, you're not sleeping. You know, I spent many a nights on the, on the couch with one eye open. Uh, and I think any operator, uh, you know, that sends a crew out kind of, kind of lives that life. So, um, I, I understand that, you know, and I, and I also understand the, the, uh, commands burden of maybe having to pick between, uh, t- two bad choices, right. You know, and they got to pick the better of the one. Um, so I, I definitely support them within the wardroom, you know, when, when that happens. But, uh, yeah, it's open to, open to those guys when they come in, if they want to bounce ideas off me. Right. And I always start the conversation with, well, you know, when Kevin Barris had the job, X, Y, Z was going on. It may not have been right, may not have been wrong, but this is what the end result was at that point. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's kind of a cool spot to be, you know? Yeah, that's great. You know? And on the flip side, probably a little bit more, I mean, you already have the street cred, but a little bit more of like an approachable 05 for the junior pilots, more approachable than if you were part of the command true. structure. Absolutely so. true. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, I think, I came back to uh, Humboldt on the uh, retired recall uh, during COVID. So I was a little bit different, right? Everyone knows we kind of, we kind of lost our mojo during COVID, right? Yeah. Um, that, that camaraderie. So we're kind of building that back up. But yeah, up in uh, North Bend, I was up there. I've standing on a lot of that air fact duty because at the time the, the uh, pilot cadre um, had some other um, things they'd rather do than spend a couple of days up at, up at Newport, uh, you know, personal wise. So I was volunteering for that whenever, whenever people didn't want it. So I kind of had my little, my little fiefdom up there for a day or two. And yeah, it's amazing, uh, what the air crew would, would, would bounce off me, you know, which, which I thought was valuable too. Yeah. That's awesome. awesome. Yeah. And just, just going back a little bit, um, what is it about aviation? Like what draw you towards aviation from the get go? Okay. You ready for a cheese ball answer? Just hit oh, me. I love it. Cheese hit ball, me. We cheese all ball have answer. a cheese ball answer to yeah. this though. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. And that's kind of what drives us, right? I mean, it is, uh, I mean, and I don't think only aviation, I think, you know, military aviation, Coast Guard aviation, right? It's the, it's the mission, which is noble and true, right? When we think about it, I mean, we've, we've killed people for this mission, right? Um, uh, or they've died for it. That's probably a better way to say it, right? They, they've died in the pursuit of uh, providing the service that we do uh, for the American people and believe it or not, the world, right? I mean, how many yeah. times have we been south of the equator uh, on a cutter and, uh, you know, there's the migrant boat with uh, – you know, 45 people on board dead in the water and they send out an SOS and the Mexicans won't come get them. The Panamanians won't come get them. Right. And here we are on turbines. They still got turbines on cutters. I don't Probably. know. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. When I was on cutters, <laughs> you know, steaming for, uh, I don't know boats. Yeah. <laughs> steaming for 20 hours. Right. You know, and, and we show up and, and we're the only, we're only show in, in, in the world, right. Not show in town, but show in the world. Um, you know, so that's the importance of, of what we do. But what attracted me is I'm actually, I know you guys are going to not believe this, but I was, a uh, former uh, NCAA football player, way back in the world, team sports, wearing a uniform, everybody having a role, right? Uh, common goals, you know, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, I was uh, a squatty little offensive guard that played a uh, played on a running offense. Um, and I loved it when it was fourth and goal and they called my hole, right? <laughs> right, over, right over my big backside, right? And I love that challenge, right? And I really think yeah. having a helicopter at night over the water is fourth and goal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When, when the SAR alarm goes off and you hear it in ops, you know, you're talking to ops and you're like, hey, the, the weather's bad. Like, let's let's talk this through. Let's take 
a few minutes here to just make sure that we're not missing anything. And yeah. 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 And hearing, you, hearing the helicopter spin up as you're having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's something that you can't describe to other people, how everything else in the whole world just goes away yeah. immediately. Yep. And that's the whole crew's sole focus and it's a crew of professionals and it's amazing what can, what can be done in that moment. Yeah. And, and I don't know if you ever, you know, a lot of yoking and joking in, in the wardroom and even on duty, right? And even as we walk out to the aircraft, uh, you know, either for a train or for an operational flight, but it's amazing. Like you were saying, Ryan, like you, you just snap it in and it's just part of our culture. Yeah. You know? And the, the joking is great too, because I mean, we came back from the ATP and had beers in the division and then Jake and I just got roasted for all the mistakes <laughs> we made on the, on the flight. Yeah. And, uh, and it's the flip side too, that yeah. just truly rounds it out. I mean, I was late going home. I knew that I was, had a whole bunch of stuff to do at home, but it was so worth it. You had some explaining to do when you got home, did you? <laughs> Tons. <laughs> yeah. And you can't go home and be like, oh man, I'm so tired. Cause yeah. like, I've been working so hard all day. Why yeah. do you smell like beer? Yeah. How can uh, you stay for two hours later than you had to? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Here's, here goes my feeble memory. You said something and I've, I've forgotten what I was going to talk about. Uh, you're going to tell us what sport you played? I already told you that. Yeah. Oh, I'd, so just football? Just football. Okay, yeah. I thought you said multi-sport. Well, at the NCAA, college level. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's yeah, what, oh, oh, I remember now, Ryan. So, yeah. so I've, I think both of you guys heard me say this. Um, you're talking about the, the mistakes you made on, on your flight, which are probably mi minor when you when you look at it. Um, you know, but that, that's always been my saying. Um, yeah. I mean, I was playing Pong with myself on the ILS, but. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you did bust, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, the day that I have a perfect flight is the day I'll stop flying. And I'm going to keep flying forever as long as I can keep my medical, right? So yeah. You're, it, yeah. It, and you're at 23 years, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if you ever talk to anyone that told you, told, told you they had a perfect flight, I'll, I'll show you a guy that probably shouldn't be flying and is probably a, probably a liar. Yeah, because it, it's a mind state, really. Like, if you come out and you're like, nailed it, got it. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're not getting better. Yeah. And you're probably approaching it with some uh, just – general malaise like right. and that's not where yeah. you need to be your parameters it? are way too wide yeah. yeah and you know thanks to big coast guard too they they change this plane every every so often right so <laughs> yeah. like me i'm back at square one with the echo right and Alphas i'm loving it echoes yeah. were you an aircraft commander in the alpha i was whoa yeah yeah i'm glad you're sitting down when you when you heard that yeah i am <laughs> yeah. too uh how'd the echo <laughs> transition go it was good yeah yeah uh uh jam-packed um Years of inertia of uh, old ways of doing things, how to be overcome to learn the new way. Um, yeah. So I, I, I do honestly feel like I'm a, I'm a little bit behind probably some of my, my junior peers. So I'm looking forward to learning from them and uh, finding, finding the new way to do it. But yeah, uh, an overdue uh, upgrade. Yes. So, well, I, we had a question that showed up. Um, you were an aircraft commander before you had a cell phone. So what's it like flying a glass cockpit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think that Bernie Sander memes that was going around with the iPad a couple of oh, years yeah. ago, I, I think they created that for me. Um, yeah. Some technologies. Yeah. So when I was in Kodiak, we did have a cell phone, okay. but they only had one cell phone tower. And uh, Aaron and I, my wife, uh, we splurged for that, for that cell phone. Uh, there was no guardrails uh, on the road. Dead man's curve was wide open Ooh. and they just started paving whatever the miles of roads is now, they doubled their, their mileage on the uh, paved roads up there. So yeah, it was a frontier. People used to run from uh, base to town with their uh, Marine band handheld radios so they could uh, call Mayday if they ran off the road. So yeah, good That's old. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, well, but yeah, so uh, when they came out with 
the iPad the first time I was here. Uh, we were beta testing it, wonderful piece of uh, equipment. And um, I showed my young son at the time, it was probably, I don't know, around 10 plus or minus, um, that we had these cool iPads and it had Google Earth on it. Well, um, I had fallen asleep and the iPad was next to me. And then uh, Connor decided that he wanted to go see Google Earth and did five incorrect logins and shut down my iPad. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. And then fast forward to that same uh, technically savvy young man. Um, I'm running him to some of his sporting events out of Humboldt, which is no easy task, which is about a four-hour drive down the uh, 101. I'm taking ops calls uh, with, uh, with the government uh, uh, cell phone, and, and uh, I get a text about a routine training flight. You know, so I'm driving, so put my fingerprint in there, and he's typing for me as I'm driving, you know, dictating and, you know, whatever goes on. Well, fast forward two weeks later, we're driving down and uh, do it to another event and I get another pretty routine text, you know. And so, hey, you know, just answer this. But I realized after he texted, like my fingerprint didn't go on it. And I was like, Connor, how did you get in there to, to answer the text back? He's like, oh, I put my, my fingerprint in it two weeks ago. I'm like, dude, that's a government phone. I just signed all sorts of paperwork saying that I'm the one that can go in there. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uh, easily fooled with technology. Yeah. But I'm getting better. I so really how am. long did uh, Connor take op ops calls for you? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> he did a damn good job. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, man, technology awesome. is, a, is a big, I mean, it is amazing. The, yeah. uh, the uh, steep learning curve that, that we are on um, when, when you look at where we've been just 10 years ago, right? Yeah, and the Echo, it's a phenomenal machine, too. It can do a lot. Uh, it was fun doing your FMS FDS sim the other day because, um, I mean, you're paired with Faith, and it's just the difference in, like, the technology uh, experience yeah. was just really fun to watch. But then when we did the hand-flown approaches, your scan was so much faster because you could tell that you're, you were used to, like, having to change your scan with, with each model. And so you were able to pick up on the cues a lot faster for the hand-flown stuff. So I thought that was fascinating, yeah. that difference of, yeah, technology, that working with the CD might take a little bit longer, but your scan was there when you needed it. My finger's doing a lot of hovering. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> was the funny. A yeah. lot of hovering, because I'm a little scared to push. Like, I think yeah. that's what it is with, with young kids. You know, they, yeah. they, they just try it. Yeah, and, and they they and they can back themselves out. Like like I'm afraid to make a mistake pushing the wrong button. God forbid, right? <laughs> you know, so my my finger hovers a lot. So, but I'm getting there. Yeah, that's no, a good course. Good. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, again, I, I go in. Uh, I, I go back to stand some duty with uh, a lot of humility, and and a little bit of caution. So, but again, circling back to the the cheese ball answer of, of aviation. I mean, we still owe it to the to the American uh, public to to go out and answer the call when when it's time. So. Yeah, and I, I think that's a healthy caution, right? Like yeah. you shouldn't just blast off into terrible weather with an unknown mission. Yeah. In, in a new aircraft that you're like, how many flights have you gotten? Uh, two. Like, okay. Yeah. Maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit on this one. Right. That yeah. RT4 and uh, at ATC make you feel ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah. That's <laughs> uh, that one foot chop was amazing <laughs> with the Solomon. By the way, the 41. Oh my God. What a great platform. That was, <laughs> yes. that was a sad day when that went away. He's ready as long as his co-pilot is good, good <laughs> oh, and ready. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, hey man, I can fly the crap out of this plane. Yeah. I just need you to plug yeah. in the search pattern. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about this bingo thing because I'm not, I'm not landing with 700 pounds of gas. That'll be humiliating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's good though. Yeah, and it, uh, it uh, refocuses me. You know, gets me back in the books and all that good stuff. So, and uh, you know, we talk about the. Uh, 
the career, right? So I appreciate what you guys have done here at ATC. I remember checking in in 2011 and my, uh, back then it was Trey Depp. I think it's Trey Dib now. We have it backwards, whatever it is. I think but, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, the uh, the uh, 05, soon to be 06, was like, Kevin, you got to get a round turn on this Echo thing. It's coming. It's coming down like a, a freight train. You know, you're going to have five different courses running, you know, at the same time. You know, you got to figure out how to get, get everything going. And so here we are. We started Echo Courses Win 2019, 2018. So yeah, yeah. it wasn't quite the freight yeah. train he explained right. or uh, nah. was expected. But yeah, it's funny. But now it's finally here. We're a full freight train right now. Yeah. You guys have every course going, right? I think yes. we have like eight concurrent syllabi that yeah. we're yep. doing them amongst the students. Yeah. A handful of dual quals and then just all the courses. Yeah. And I'm uh, empathetic to that, having had your guys' job before, but it's also fun to make fun of you and yeah. complain well, a little bit. We appreciate it's it. It's part yeah, of it, I guess. Had to complain. Yeah. Hey, this three-week course, <laughs> I mean, can I can I double up a little bit here or? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, thanks. I know this is supposed to be a holiday, but you think that someone could come in and just get a sim done? <laughs> Uh, I mean, with all the flight time, which I didn't count the flight time. Oh, yeah. So uh, I believe uh, officially in the aircraft, uh, including my training aircraft, I have just under 5,200. Uh, and I think I'm within the uh, 80 um, flight hour countdown to my golden finished drone. Jeez. Which, uh, so hopefully I'll get that in the next uh, three to four months, depending on how much they let me fly the Echo. Yeah. So, it's yeah. a huge accomplishment. Any... Do you have a memorable aviation story or flight, whether it's training or SAR? Do you have a couple that stick out to you? That's getting an old, an old memory. Um, yeah, it's usually the uh, the ones that don't go as well as you you had hoped. I mean, there, there's a couple SAR cases in there that went went pretty well. Um, funny, most of them are, are probably all pat um, centric. Uh, I, I think uh, I think you guys have also heard me say about the uh, Alaska Aircraft Commander Qual. The definition of that is the ability to take uh, extraordinary risks for little to no gain. <laughs> uh, and the fact that our organization put the uh, 65 up in uh, up in Alaska, uh, expecting it to do what it does. I mean, I think they're still doing the same. They're probably even worse now because I think they're heavier, right? So I think we used to be able to take about 1,800 pounds of gas, maybe squeeze a little bit more on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's points where you're launching out of Kodiak, going downrange, and there's a go-no-go point, but but you're past it, right? And you're going to places, especially back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, the weather reporting wasn't all that good. I'm sure it's not that much better now either. You know, so you're committed, right? So you're going to use all your aviation skills to get into that next fuel spot. A uh, lot, lot of good tricks that we learned, but uh, so that was Alaska. Yeah, so there's times when uh, I was flying with a, a good friend of mine um, who uh, I think I outranked by like two signal numbers, uh, but he had, a, he was a DCA, a bunch more flight hours, so he had a way of doing business in the cockpit. I had a way of doing business in the cockpit. And I, I used to joke with him that we were the opposite of synergy. Um, so uh, got a good deal flight up to Anchorage just to swing the compass on the certified compass roads at uh, whatever that Air Force Base is. And uh, did that, came back. Uh, weather forecast was beautiful. Um, kind of playing, uh, you know, stay ahead of the aircraft, paper charts. Remember those? Ooh. You know, hey, no, make, make sure where we're going. <laughs> Um, again, just the way he did business, wasn't interested in doing that, wasn't interested in helping me out. And, uh, long story short is, uh, on the backside of Kodiak where we were going to cut over the Buskin pass with a lower bingo. Uh, we found basically the only, uh, snowstorm in, uh, in Alaska at the time. And, uh, it got really busy really quick. And then, uh, he and I had a conversation why 
he might be a better aviator than me, but I, I really would have appreciated at least a single point that I could have gone to that was safe. Um, we didn't use the term inadvertent IMC back then, but by today's uh, definition, it was certainly certainly that with the threat of icing. Um, and we had to make our way all the way around the island again. And uh, for just the grace of God, for some reason, we land above uh, above Bingo, our 200-pound reserve, and, and you know, we're able to wander back in, you know, and again, Back then, and being junior, didn't even think like that was a lesson learned. Just turned the plane in and walked away, right? Yeah, and we should have been should have been telling that story and and putting it on paper, you know, and letting people make their own judgments about how their next flight would be. But um, that's one of them. Uh, another one uh, up on the bearing, uh, the uh, maritime boundary line. What they called it? Sounds right. Yep, up yep. there where Russia starts and, and we begin. Of course, Cutter finds the only uh, only speck of uh, fog up there. <laughs> Um, so I think I might be combining two stories. So again, I, I won't let uh, facts get in the way of a good story, but so this particular one, I think wasn't too bad at limits, but it was, uh, eye opening how dense the fog was. And I realized that point two in the tack end, uh, didn't mean a whole lot. And the uh, next thing we saw was the, uh, the wake and then the two big stacks of the, the 378. And, uh, I wouldn't say it was an Australian cook stop, but it was, uh, it was a <laughs> meaningful stop <laughs> over the back of the, uh, the cutter, um, and then the, the second story again, uh, I can't remember what the rules were back then, but, you know, basically like the 378 had like a black boot and a red boot on the, on the stern on the, under the waterline. And then you can see the top of the props. So coming back, um, we're supposed to be in limits, couldn't find a, a good course. And I think memory says I saw the prop top of the props, <laughs> probably saw the red. Um, but, uh, I think it was Dan Long, um, another great aviator. Uh, he and I were, were, uh, uh, on board and we, when we shot our approach in there and we just sat over the back, you know, uh, waiting, just trying to figure out how this boat was moving. And we probably sat there for a good 15 minutes and then it was like, time's up, let's do this, you know? And, uh, we went in there and, and missed the talent, but, but hit the deck, which was a win, uh, brought in the tie downs and we were so filled with adrenaline. Um, we just kind of did this weird giggle, laugh, cry, <laughs> attempted to high five each other and missed. Yeah, you know, and it was just like this rush of a of uh, of adrenaline and emotion um, that we had successfully made it back on back on board. So th those are the kind of the ones that, sh that stick in my mind. Um, was Kenny HCO that day? Just you know, calling yeah. the, call the wave heights. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh yeah, we're definitely in limits, guys. Yeah, yeah could have been. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, and, and you know, it's funny. Uh, SAR cases, uh, a few of them. N nothing, nothing in Coast Guard history type SAR cases. Um, but again, up at, uh, up at Alpat, uh, uh, I was there under Captain Newsel, I believe, and I was only in there for one year. And on his, uh, outgoing change of command speech, uh, three of the, two of the three SAR cases that he spoke of, I actually was, was on there you go. by, by just by a happenstance, which is, you know, 60 country up there. So it was cool. Yeah, that's so, awesome. uh, uh, helped, uh, helped a young lady that was having a, a, a troubled pregnancy get out of one of the remote villages. And, uh, then the other one was, um. Went went his second uh, to the sixty on a on a plane crash, and ended up picking up two guys, and, and one of the guys ended up uh, doing the hypothermic cardiac arrest thing on his way out of the door. That was with uh, Winston Wood, oh, whether otherwise known as Woody. So yeah, yeah those kind of things, you know, a couple yeah, pop up. Yeah, a couple good cliff rescues right in the in the Humboldt and the and um, North Bend area. So a couple classic quotes that came out of my mouth for. <laughs> For the uh, local news up there, which is not really news, it's actually a blog. That's the best. Oh, I know. love it. I still follow Lost Coast, Coast Outpost. Outpost yeah, still so. follow them. Yeah, so apparently, I don't even remember saying this, but we uh, 
uh, I think it was Josh Smith's first uh, live hoist. Uh, nice uh, couple from Sweden was out uh, hiking one of the trails up there, and the and the uh, tide came up, and they decided to go straight up the cliff. And at some point, she uh, thought better of it and spent the night on the saddle. And uh, boyfriend made it to the top and and went off and. And finally got the park ranger, and we launched out. And actually, it was a pretty straightforward rescue. But um, apparently, uh, after the uh, after the star case and showing on the way, I said, "Well, hopefully your vacation gets better from from here on out." And, apparently, <laughs> and, and, and that made it in the uh, in the in the blog and and uh, and the special club. The wife and and her friends thought that was hilarious. So I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember coming out of my mouth, but I'm, I'm sure it's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, natural PAO. Yeah. Just listening to your story, I think we've probably all had flights where you, you come back and there's that weird adrenaline dump, excitement, just glad to be on deck. And, you know, five minutes after that stops, we go back to what Ryan was talking about, just like making fun of each other, like, you <laughs> idiot, you know, why, what, what were you thinking, yeah. you know? And I, I think that's such a healthy part of our aviation culture um, is that we sit here and we make fun of each other. But if the SAR alarm went off right now, I 100% trust you and your ability to, you know, be a um, active participant and, you know, keeping the spinny side up and going to get the mission done. And I think that's what I love yeah. about about oh, our culture, you know? Yeah. I did a deployment with, with Dorsey and we took a, like an MK3 up on a flight, just good deal morale flight. We're just um, hunting for like fishing boats and stuff like that in the middle of the ocean because we're not Hitron and we can't do cool stuff. Um but she comes back from the flight and the flight makes like, Hey, how was the flight? You know, they're eating dinner later to get, uh, together. And he's like, Hey, how was the flight? What'd you think? And she's like, man, that was just like two hours of you guys quoting movies and just talking crap about each other, <laughs> followed by 10 minutes of intensity. Right. And that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny, you know, from the outside world, um, we make it look easy, right? And it's a good thing that it's easy though. Yeah. Or yeah, we make it look easy. But the fact that you can go up, fly a helicopter for X amount of time, two, two hours plus or minus for us, uh, and be able to do that while maintaining situation awareness and safety and getting the Coast Guard mission done, right? We as a collective group make that look easy, right? But to the outside world, man, that that's some skills to be able to to do that and prioritize and, and make those decisions on the fly. Yeah. And I think we forget about that sometimes we because do. it's just so common. That, that we go out and we do it and someone comes back and like, oh, cool, cool, nice, nice job. Yeah. Um, and, and we move on. Well, and, and it's like the, the, you know, instructing folks, right? So you guys have seen this now as uh, ATC guys, right? But, you know, collectively, if you, if you looked at the, uh, the group of, of aviators that, that made it through, uh, well, first of all, to get into uh, Navy flight school, right? That's already a screening, right? If, if you don't have what it takes, you're probably weeded out by, by primary, if not advanced, right? So we really are working when, when we're upgrading Coast Guard aviators with, with guys that are already capable of doing, right? The best of the best, right? But it is, you know, a couple times in my career, right? The, the bell curve, if you will, the people may be on the backside of the bell curve that it, it's such a a foreign thing to our culture that it's really hard for us to to crack that nut on how to get that aviator into that, that middle mass, um, you know, but, but that's why I tell people like the person that we think struggling, if you took someone from the outside world and took a look at that, they would say, yeah, you're, they're just doing just as good as the rest of y'all. Right. Right. Um, you know, and I've had successes getting people moved over that other mass. And I've had, you know, stories where we decided that maybe probably better to 
go do a little less stressful career, you know, maybe something up headquarters, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, so that's, yeah, we talked about that. Even, even think about like a small wardroom where maybe you've got four co-pilots there and two of them are absolute rock stars and the two, the other two are still above average, but in comparison, you're like, yeah, these guys are, you know, falling behind. You're like, no, they're actually crushing it also, but you just, it's hard when you, we always look and compare people instead of saying like, Hey, what is the standard? Like, what, what are we asking for? Yeah. Yeah. Especially at a small unit. And as IPs, you know, we look back on our past and we just think higher of ourselves than we probably should too at times. Yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, the mythical uh, instructor pilot, right too. Uh, a lot of the stuff we learn, we learn from our instructor pilots, you know, make sure you question those, uh, you know, and, and I've seen the, the uh, maturation of, of instructing since I got in. That was, you know, the the DCAs that came over from, you know, the, the Vietnam vets that taught them how to fly, you know, so the, the level of training risk, you know, sometimes didn't meet meet the, the level that we needed, you know. Um, but the opposite is true too, right? Like I can I can do pretty good tail rotors, you know. I, I used to be able to do pretty good autos, you know, because we, we trained it to that level. And, and that's always a balance as, as an instructor. You know what? Uh, what level of proficiency do you need? You know, and then when I was here, or even even up at Humboldt, um, you know the uh, what's standard, right? Kind of what you're getting at, Kenny. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I always said most aviators I've dealt with in the Coast Guard, standard is pretty much kneecap height, right? And you'll know when you don't see it. You know, most of the guys are talking armpits underneath the chin, like high level stuff. And if we all of a sudden start making that standard, you know, we're we're missing the missing the big picture. You know, and, yeah. and it's great to talk at, at that level, um, but but maybe not necessarily uh, the right expectation for those for those folks that are in the in the middle mass that are coming up through the ranks. You got to make sure you you know your audience. You gave me advice when I was in Humboldt going through syllabus. You said I was I think sweating uh, FP or AC check ride or something like that. I think you said, "Hey, look, in my opinion, the check ride should be the easier flight in the syllabus." Because in syllabus, you have to meet my standard. On the check ride, you have to meet the Coast Guard standard. Right. Yeah. And that that's always stuck with me as an instructor. Yeah. I've, I want someone to meet my standard on a syllabus flight, but I recognize that I'm just over-preparing them for the Coast Guard standard. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I think we, we've talked about it before, but yeah, as an in, um, instructor, especially out in the fleet, not so much here, but... Um, when you're sitting around on a afternoon and the and the weather's bad and the SAR alarm goes off and you look out the window and you're like, oh, weather sucks. Man, who, they're who, nice. Who's on duty right now? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, <laughs> I just signed this dude or chick off on their, you know, advanced SAR aircraft commander and here they go. Like, you want to feel good knowing like that person is prepared for this mission. A hundred percent. I know it. And uh, that that's the best part about being an instructor pilot to me. Yeah. And probably terrifying about being an ops an ops boss. Well, you bring up a point. Yeah. I mean, like, like that's when you know you have a healthy FEB, right? When, when the instructors are, are instructing to that level and the, and the, uh, and the upgrading student knows the difference. Right. So yeah, I always laughed the, um, the, uh, when I first got here to ATC, the, the S standard for systems, that's a hard thing to define, you know, show me where, where standard. I always thought that should have been a K. Um, still lost that argument many times, but yeah. you know, but like really what's standard in, 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 in system knowledge, aerodynamics, right? The, the FAA manual, I don't know. So it's uh it's our good judgment. Usually everyone that briefs me is 
knows a lot more than I do. So I'm like, wow, thanks. I learned something. <laughs> but uh, let me tell Brimblecom story about having high expectations. So um, I believe Mike's going off to Savannah, right? Yes. That's yes. awesome. That's like a repeat. I think it's the third time back to Savannah. Yeah, so he whoa. just came through for his P course. Yeah. Do you learn yeah. anything from him? Uh, I didn't, I didn't have any events with him. Oh man. Cause I'm a, I'm an echo guy. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I, I remember him, uh, you know, you know, you guys know how this is when you get back from, a from a unit visit, you know, sometimes you kind of do the old, oh, can't believe they didn't know that. And how, how did they do that, man? A bunch of morons. But I overheard, I was brand new, uh, at the branch and, and, uh, Mike was telling a story about something about to do with the, uh, the FADIC and the turbo makers, which were relatively new, not brand new, but relatively new. And I was like fascinated, like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, how did they not know that? Because I don't know that either, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, hey, where in the dash one does that say that? He's like, well, it doesn't. You know, I was like, well, how do you know that? He's like, well, it's in Turbo Manual, Mecha Manual 14 ABC, you know? <laughs> I'm like, Mike, do you expect people to dig into Turbo Manual, Mecha Manual, blah, blah, blah? I'm like, first of all, that probably makes us more dangerous, right? Because now we think we, we know the system better than we should, right? When the fatic light comes on, monkey does X, Y, Z, right? Yeah. Yep. Without question. Yeah. That was that was funny. And I had a good conversation. It was great. So but yeah. uh, I never discourage people from learning that, right? If if that aviator needs to know that to to fly the plane, go for it. Yep. You know, but just remember what the bold face says. Yeah. I teach a lizard brain. Like what what do you need to do to survive? Yeah. When the lizard brain takes yeah. over. When sec high <laughs> low pressure comes on, the monkey puts the landing gear handle down. <laughs> Any monkey can do that. <laughs> I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. But, that's how you know when you're getting a little bored in your community when you start pulling in like civilian manuals and maintenance manuals and uh you know we're like the echo like we're not we're nowhere near that like we got to figure out just how to operate it before we start worrying about you know what yeah. some some article written by someone to learn about the the fadec um and like you said hey that that's great if we want to just talk about that but you can't hold me to that standard when it comes to my stand check yeah you know yeah. and and we think about um, someone that goes, gets out of the Coast Guard and goes flies for EMS. They do a four-week course and they are a, a the PIC in a single pilot IFR aircraft doing the mission the next day and how long it takes us to, to get there, you know. Um, and it's just interesting in, when you compare the civilian world to what we expect people to know when it comes to systems. Right. Yeah. yeah. And we, we go out with pretty junior air crews too. I mean... In Humboldt, I did a case with Alex. I think I was a co-pilot and he was an aircraft commander for less than a month at the time. It's like, yeah, we're just doing it. This is the duty crew today. Yeah. And it's yeah. like looking back, sometimes it's sobering to think about that stuff. How junior some of our crews going out to do some of these cases are. Yep. yep. Oh yeah. Your first couple of SAR cases, your asses and elbows. I yeah. clearly remember my um, first two SAR cases. One was with Matt, Matt Suoka in Brinken. Yep. Um, and then the other one was with Trichler. Uh, it was nighttime. We're trying to de deploy this SLDMB and I probably couldn't hold the hover. So he's like, I'll take controls. Like we're trying to hover. <laughs> and he's like, I need you to write down the, the number to this, the SLDMB. And I, I kept repeating the numbers wrong. And he's like, dude, I need you to write these numbers down. And it, you know, you're just like, I have no idea. And the radios are going off. And I just, I just froze, you yeah. know? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a lot of simuli. It's a lot going on. 
Yeah. My first, the first time the alarm went off for me in Humboldt, I ran to the locker room and put my dry suit on backwards and I fell with over or without undies or underpants. <laughs> with, excuse me. Because I'm not, okay. you know, with, uh, mostly because <laughs> I want to watch them less often. So, uh, I do like dumb co-pilot stuff. I was flying with a user in, in Humboldt. We were up at like 8,500 feet and, up like altitude hold limit light goes off and I'm just looking at it. It's like, oh, that's interesting. I, that usually just goes off on deck during the test. And you're like, lower the collective. And you like <laughs> dump the collective on me. <laughs> you're like, man, that should mean something to you up here. And I was yeah. like, oh, I yeah, I had no idea. Yeah.